0: Welcome to Tripping Over the Barrel, a series that highlights the unique personalities within the oil and gas industry and the stories they have to share with your host and lead storytellers, Tilo and Dr. Funkenstein.
1: TK43! Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Tripping Over the Barrel. Today, we have my friend in Dallas, Thomas Kwiatkowski, joining myself and Tim today. TK, has anybody ever, an announcer in any of your basketball games ever screamed like that after you nailed a corner three?
2: This was like the best introduction ever. I did not <laughs> expect that at all. But, you know, I, hey, guys, first of all, thanks so much for having me. This is a privilege. Um, you know, it's, it's been a while since we, you know, we're doing some meetings together in the same space. But, you know, I always had a lot of respect for what you do and your work. So thanks for having me.
1: Yeah, yeah. Our pleasure.
0: Pleasure's all ours. We've been kind of looking forward to this one once we we kind of had the idea to bring you on. This will be a little bit different from most of our other uh, cast because you know this will be the first person that's not kind of a career oil and gas person. So this will mm. be you know a fun perspective, I think, uh, from what we've done in other podcasts.
2: Absolutely. Looking forward to it.
1: Yeah. So Tomas, we'll have you get into a, a quick introduction, but I think the fact that you were only in oil and gas for two years... But we're able to leave somewhat of an indelible impression on Tim and I. And you've done a lot in the in the sort of social media sphere as well. Helped bring us back here. But you have a unique background. Just I think in general, you know, my family came to the United States from Poland on one side of the family in like the nineteen you know tens. And uh, you came in came over much later. So why don't you give us sort of your history, your background, growing up and in, in uh, overseas, and then living over here, high school and beyond.
2: No, I appreciate it certainly. So, 2006 is where when I landed here. I was 19 at the time and you know, I was living the dream, wanted to go to NBA and realized pretty quickly that I'm not going to be able to do that, but <laughs> you know, th- at least there was a unique opportunity to go to school, pursue my education and also play ball, which was fully paid for. I was very fortunate I went to SMU in Dallas after spending a year in Maine, uh, really, you know, getting some exposure to colleges and fulfilling some uh, educational requirements. And I uh, studied marketing, graduated and um, had no idea what's, I mean, I've, sports been my whole life, soccer, track, and basketball for almost half of my life. So I'm like, what do I do with myself? And And then this big, Big wall hit me, like not only from a corporate transition perspective, but like I didn't realize that I'm going to be faced with legal battle in terms of uh, just staying in the country, wow. you know, legal, just, just visas and just, you know, stuff that I was not prepared for. I did not have knowledge for So some sources of adversity, I guess, definitely, you know, became very much known to me and went to EY for about a year as a kind of a entry level staff consultant, then had to go back to grad school to stay in the country, uh, studied um, dispute resolution and conflict management. Uh, Meanwhile, was working for the university, helping out in a lot of areas, primarily external relations. And then when I graduated, I met you guys. I was, that was my first stint in in software sales. That was my first kind of, you know, it was a a blessing. I was looking to to get hired. Uh, Not a lot of people would hire me because of the, of the visa restrictions. And, you know, I was working at the time for a local startup who was private equity backed and just send a message to the CEO, was able to uh, do some due diligence on their website, on their LinkedIn page, just saw that they have the funding, did not have the sales team. And I became the first salesperson that they hired ultimately. And, um, you know, nice. and that was fun. That was I went from Doing some channel relationships with PE firms and law firms to managing all accounts to doing outside sales all in two years. And, um, and yeah, I think we should highlight, obviously, that, that I met you two uh, during the time, you know, meeting in person, different conferences, you know, traveling was fun at the time. So I enjoyed it. Unfortunately, oil and gas downturn hit <laughs> yeah. which uh, you guys are very much familiar, much more than myself. And, um, you know, I was the last salesperson to be let go and kind of, you know, was was trying to be loyal, got laid off. And then I'm like, okay, what next? I need my visa to be transferred. You know, it was tough. So I ended up in financial services for about four years. I realized that that was probably, at least on paper, uh, considerably the quickest path to immigration and maybe, you know, a career. But then along the way, I just realized that, um, you know, I need to go back to software. It's just what I enjoyed the most. And you know, as of last year September, got a green card, and you know, that that allowed me to kind of open my wings, have so so, quote unquote freedom, and really explore opportunities from a wide lens, open landscape, I guess. And and ended up at a a local company with offices around the U.S. and also overseas called Project Two Hundred Two. So that's like super quick. (laughs) <laughs> snapshot <laughs> it's a lot man i'm telling you, we could talk for hours it's it's so much that has happened in the past 14 years but i know that time is of value so i wanted to kind of give you a, a quick snapshot awesome
0: yeah i so appreciate that and i got a ton of different questions for you but 19 years old i don't know how how good your english was when you were, when you came over but what's that like to come to the u.s at 19 not knowing anybody and of course you find yourself in maine which I don't necessarily think represents what the rest of the United States looks like. So what's what's that like, you know, making that transition to Maine?
2: You know, so I think what prepared me for the move, so I actually didn't mention that I moved out out of the family house when I was 16 or an apartment. I grew up in an apartment with my uh, brother and my parents. So I left to go to high school about 60, 70 miles away. And uh, I was kind of the reason being I wanted to work to be at a better team, better coaching system. And that gave me an opportunity to really, um, you know, grow up a little quicker, be on my own and mature much faster. So when I turned 19, an opportunity to U S presented, come to U S presented itself. It was an easy decision because I always wanted to come here. It was kind of a the land opportunity and. I said you know nba was always a dream you know watching the bulls the, the lakers you know and then the heat celtics and, uh, celtics <laughs> not necessarily but uh no no you, <laughs>
1: you're, you're you're wandering older. into jeremy's home you're turf younger. here <laughs> no, no, i know what you're sure. saying Don't you were talking sure. about the bulls and then like the kobe shack lakers i got it
2: yes yes so just getting inspired by all that stuff you know was a no-brainer so when i came to maine i mean I was at a small school in the middle of nowhere so it was a little cultural shock because i thought i'm going to be in a city you know things to yeah. do like entertainment like friends you know just and it was just a cultural melt pot of different players from all over different students from all over and you know it was tough it was very tough at the beginning uh it w- if it wasn't for my friends and my coaches i don't know if i would have made it because it was just You know, we were isolated. We had gas station, school, and, um, you know, and a a post office. And then the closest, like any shopping stuff, was 20 minutes away. The closest Walmart was even further, I think. So, um, you know, about an hour north from Bangor, if you know what that is. Yeah. Um, Wow. It was very tough. And, you know, I just said, you know what, just like anything else in my life, make the most of this opportunity. You're blessed to even be here to begin with. Many would be want to be in your shoes. So don't make excuses. Just make the most of the opportunity. And the goal was to get a scholarship to go to college. And I thankfully succeeded. That's
0: fantastic. So and I, I admire your, your uh, tenacity and, mayb- and maybe perseverance to some level. When first impressions of you was how eager you were to take Meetings that weren't going to lead to sales necessarily. You were taking meetings to learn the art, learn, meet people, and network. It was pretty impressive when you when. And I'm going to tell you that the kind of when we first met. But so for those on who are listening to the podcast, Tomas is, is a very tall man, as you would expect in the NBA. And <laughs> you can say how tall I am. It's okay. <laughs> he, well, I, so I, and I will. I, I believe. He's seven feet tall. Even I'm not certain of that. Is yeah, that correct? That's correct. That's
1: correct. Okay. Oh wow! I th- actually didn't realize you were that tall. See, because in, so, in my brain it's like you maybe you were six eight. I don't know because that's tall. But seven feet is really tall.
0: It's very tall. Let me tell you. So when when we got called out, you know, say, hey Tim, your meeting's here, and I walk out. The receptionist sitting is sitting there, and Tomas is sitting in the lobby chair, and I could tell he was tall because his knees were, you know, really, you know, up above the chair and. As he stands up to shake my hand, it, he just never stopped standing up. It was one of those things. I just I kept watching, and and I was thinking, man, I just got trained in Sandler. Don't talk about the sailfish on the wall. You know that's <laughs> so. I said, I am not going to talk about the easiest thing and ask about basketball or how tall you are or anything like that. We're just going to have a conversation about business, and we're going to leave it at that. And so Trent and I, who was also in the meeting, neither we never talked about height at all. But I don't know if you remember this, but when we came out of the meeting, you said you were going to call a lift. And at this time, Lyft and Uber were very new things. Correct. And I was curious, how does it work? So I'm I'm watching you punch in and order the lift, <laughs> and you're holding the phone, your smartphone, where yeah. it's comfortable, a comfortable height for you. <laughs> and you're also trying to show it to me. Now, I became very apparent. I'm kind of I'm putting my chin up in the air and looking down, barely able to kind of get an angle to look at the phone. And I thought, man, this is really awkward. I wonder if anyone's looking at this. So anyway, that was just kind of a moment. But, you know, it, it, was, it was fun for me
2: to think, wow, this guy really is tall. Hey, let me tell you this. I, I just wish, I think it comes down to just human curiosity. That's kind of my takeaway over the years. I yeah. appreciate, you know, there's a lot of attention associated with the height, obviously, whatever you go and business, non-business. But your perspective, even the fact that you even thought about it, hey, let's not talk about it. The self-awareness that you had and the presence in the moment to just, hey, just be like, like we're buddies. Not like, oh my God, he's so, you know, whatever. Like, <laughs> it like, like, come on, bro, let's not go there. Like, really? Like, let's make a joke. Let's, I mean, jump into like NBA finals. Like, do that as opposed to just like, I don't know. So you had a lot of presence in the moment and then that speaks volume of who you are and, and, and Trent and, you know, and then obviously we met Jeremy along the way. I think me and Jeremy had a one-on-one in Denver uh, as well. Yeah.
1: At the, um, ship's tavern in the Brown Palace. That's that's an old school spot, a classic.
2: That's a a must see anyone in Denver. You got to go there. Miss my trips to Denver. No, I, uh, Well, right now, travel is obviously halted, but, you know, hopefully as COVID picks up, I can go back on the road, you know, where and if needed, because our clients are kind of all over the place. So, yeah, that's kind of how it all came about. So, you know, I'm I'm impressed with your memory as well. I have no idea what concept was in Denver. Memory is impressive.
1: You probably had four lunches that day, though. (laughs) (laughs) So, So I just want to, I want to say two things. One. There's a great marketing opportunity here. Tomosity, right? Sounds like you could oh. make a t shirt, right? Tomosity, hashtag Tomosity. Yeah. That's one. And two is so, you know, I grew up in New Hampshire in the middle of nowhere where there's a yeah. village store and, you know, maybe a gas station. In <laughs> one restaurant. And it, I'll tell you, one of the really cool things about being up there in the winter, it was mostly not cool. It was dark and gray and really cold. But there were a lot of amazing athletes who were like taking their post grad year or going to a prep school, yes. like in the middle of nowhere in New Hampshire. And it would be like walking into a like walking into like an NBA pickup game or something when you walk in. I mean, guys doing windmill dunks and three-pointers and scouts from all over the place in freezing cold New Hampshire in the middle of nowhere, right? That, oh, I, I am sure that was a surreal experience for you.
2: Well, think about, you know, I was in a prep school and, you know, we had yellow buses that I always would see on TV and then I'm in a yellow bus and we're and taking yellow buses or, you know, we had a van two games of time that we didn't have a lot of players. You know, it just depends who was available. But, um, but yeah, New Hampshire, Rhode Island. I was just talking to a gentleman that went to Rhode Island. Rhode Island recruited me. So I was just very familiarized with the entire New England area very quickly. Uh, one of my best friends lives in Springfield, Massachusetts. My father in law's brother lives in uh, on the west side of Boston. So I'm still going yes. back. When I can and and really like the, I mean, I I genuinely like the area. It just offers a different type of vibe uh, versus Texas for that matter.
1: For
0: sure. So if if you're familiar with New England,
2: I got to ask you what's your favorite lobster roll? Okay, that's I would not go there because I wasn't as exposed oh. to those streets. Yeah, it's it's uh dude, He I was love
1: living love in them. the sticks. He was in the woods, okay? You're, <laughs> yeah. you're talking about some fancy pants that live, you know, that's on the coast of bringing their family and strollers and yeah, and, flags eating, and eating lobster. Nah, this dude was living in the woods.
2: No, I went to Bar Harbor with the team, I think once or twice, and that was a fun experience. I actually look back sometimes at pictures and it's almost like I was um, you know, definitely much, I was weighing much less than today. And it's funny how I you know, <laughs> grew up and evolved as a man. It's mind blowing, but uh, you know, just grateful for these experiences. That's what make you, you know, as, as a human. So. So Tomas,
0: I'm going to, I'm going to do one, my one tall uh, question for you. Please, here, please, now that I never did before, but so Jeremy and I have kind of a running thing where we talk about, we had a we have one podcast uh, about airports and travels and yeah. I was once in an airport in Pekanbaru, Indonesia, and I was I'd missed my flight. That's a really funny story, but I'd missed it, and all I wanted was off the island and heading home. So I got the ticket on a, a airline called Merpati. Now I'm six feet tall, yeah, but I can tell you they've never sold an airline <laughs> ticket to anybody that wasn't Indonesian, as near as I can tell, because at six feet tall, I couldn't fit between the seats. My knees were were smashed into their their seat. (laughs) And so I I I decided I was going to put my knees up on the seat in front of me and at least just sit there uncomfortably for the hour flight that I was going to be on. And when I did it, of course, the seat in front of me collapsed. There was nobody in it, thank God, and just laid down. So then I had my own little ottoman. So now I'm thinking back to that moment. What must it be like to travel at seven feet tall in these conventional airlines do you you
2: always travel business class or how do you how do you fit in you know it's it's funny that people make that assumption like oh yeah business class sure who's gonna pay for it (laughs) (laughs) well i'm just to me it's just for how do you do it well so here a couple of things and i think that's a great that's a great question I've had the luxury to, to travel for basketball ever since I was I think in middle school slash high school. I traveled across Europe. So we have some small airlines wow. in Europe, too, that, you know, that helped us get from a country to a country, just like from a state to a state in U.S. So, you know, I always had a level of appreciation genuinely just just to travel It was one of the best things that I've ever done in my life. One of my passions, me and my wife love to travel. We are a little frustrated, obviously, with the current situation, but it is what it is. So I never made an excuse. You know, I don't like to not be comfortable in the plane. Meaning, like, if I can't fit in the seat, <laughs> I'm gonna make the people well known, right? But like, I'm just grateful <laughs> that there are tools like SeedGuru.com and and others that allow you to look at the planes today to predict where you will sit, right? And Sometimes I have to purchase and I primarily I travel transfer your question exit row. That's primarily what I do or like Southwest. It would be the first row where you have the legroom. Typically, yeah. I you know, I purchase an exit row. Sometimes they comp it for me, given the circumstances. Sometimes I try to use my charm at the gate. <laughs> <laughs> just depending on the situation but it's 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 interesting man i'll be honest if somebody there will be a moment in time when somebody creates a, a company a startup or a firm where they will help uh, big and tall women and men travel in a different way and whoever this startup will be that forms partnerships with the airlines to make these exceptions to allow you know big people board first or whatever together with families and and folks that are you know, may need some may have a disability, I think that could change the, the traveling landscape. But for now, mm-hmm. I'm just thankful if I have an extra row. If I don't, I typically sit sideways. <laughs> so I'm like, also- please, please, <laughs> please sit in the middle so I can sit sideways. Like, but wow. you know, I just love to travel, man. So it may become an issue later. Hopefully not when my knees are becoming an issue or my back. But I'm a young dude. I'm a 33 year old man. So. Frankly, I don't even care, like for our honeymoon, we went to Asia and pretty much around the world. We were very fortunate. And, and you know, I didn't care. I was just like, I just wanted to go to a different place and learn about people's cultures, people, how people live and have some fun and make, take pictures and make memories. The fact that if I had to get granular on what's my comfort on the plane, that changes the level of priorities of what's important for me on that trip, right? So it's really Xero and and just some type of you know sales negotiations at the gate, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> it's a
0: great perspective to uh, keep that. Hey, it's the it's where I'm going. It's not how I'm getting there.
2: Absolutely, hundred percent.
1: Your perspective, just in general, is I find it to be refreshing and motivational, and, and always have enjoyed our um, social media exchanges back and forth. Right. Let me ask you this: Does it cross your mind, or would you ever think about getting back into oil and gas?
2: I'm not sure, to be honest. I landed pretty well, you know, at this company uh, that I mentioned, Project 202, just about two months ago. Um, landed here remotely, and I just love what the company does. You know, we specialize in uh, experience-driven digital transformations and serve uh, all the industries, really. So. You know, while I have a genuine level of appreciation for oil and gas vertical, I just feel like, you know, I can stretch myself a little wider to a wider net and, you know, and help financial services, help airlines, help retail, help manufacturing. And it's like to be able to learn different along the way, different businesses and how they operate and what's, you know, what are the challenges for them now during COVID and everything else associated with pandemic? It's it's something that is very unique and you know and i feel like that's a passion of mine is really kind of you know i want to i'm a lifetime learner i don't want to just like maybe limit myself to to oil and gas unless you know maybe that was a desire but you know it hasn't crossed my mind when i was looking that was a thought you know and i was open to it but as i came across this organization i just it was a fit for uh, for the two of us and, and a big win uh, on the mutual ends. So I'm just thankful for that. That's, That's perfect. awesome, man.
0: So from a kid from Poland, you come over here and and uh, I, I'm going to put some words in your mouth you tell me if they're wrong, but you probably didn't know too much about the oil and gas industry or even where it was or anything like that. So when you did, what was your perspective then? And then how did it change once you started getting involved in the oil and gas space?
2: You know, I, I didn't have much idea, to be honest. You know, I never had exposure to oil and gas industry in, outside of getting gas on a downstream level, um, just getting gas in my car. and, <laughs> yep. and, and you know, being- No different than Jeremy, for that matter.
1: oil okay, <laughs> change,
2: maybe. So when I got to the field and started working with you know, ENPs on the upstream level and understanding the industry and exploring and really diving into the weeds. I mean, it's fascinating, man. It's really because I think the major difference between uh, Poland, at least where, where I'm from and here, the oil and gas ownership and minerals in Poland, the land may be belonging to you and the house, but the minerals belong to the government, if I'm not mistaken, over here, it's it could be separate. Uh, there could be an, an owner uh, of each, right? So, so I think that creates, um, you know, some interesting dominoes to, and puzzles to solve. And and you know, I think that was a unique perspective to me. And you know, a lot of it was just how outdated a lot of things are from oil and gas perspective. And you know, speaking of. What I do now, you know, digitization uh, from a digital transformation perspective, it's just something that I know we have a plan as well because a lot of oil and gas companies just don't think that way. Probably have to now because of COVID, all of this yeah. stuff. And, you know, for those reasons, I just, you know, I appreciate what oil and gas does on all levels, midstream, downstream, upstream. And it was just a fascinating experience as a whole to just uncover different technicalities. You know how everything is structured how properties change hands how ownership change hands that there's discrepancies in records uh, and it could be sometimes you know missing for 40 years until you find it right away or you know whatever the case is so it's it's just it's fascinating and i had a i had a joy you know doing what i did for about two years
1: so let me shift gears one more time. And I know Tim has something for you here in a minute as well. So do you currently have any friends that play in the NBA or anybody that you went to high school with that is a, a pro basketball player? And if so, do you go to the games and say hi and all that stuff?
2: So I like that. I like those switch- gear switches. So we had a <laughs> Polish basketball player that recently retired, uh, Martin Gortat. He started his career. Oh, yeah. um, the po- what was it?
1: The Polish oh, hammer? Is that what they call
2: it? Yeah, yeah. He was a backup to Dwight Howard as he started his career. Then he got traded to Phoenix, then to the Wizards,
1: and then
2: to the Clippers. And it's a funny story. He actually told me this. You guys will appreciate it. I don't know if many people know this, but I think was trying to get signed by the Lakers like the past two years before Dwight Howard got his second shot. And I think Dwight Howard took, if I remember correctly, he took a contract that was not guaranteed in 100%. So he took a huge risk on himself, on his body, everything, to just play for the Lakers for free. And I think his contract kicked in mid-season, that he finally got paid something. And Martín got offered, I think, a similar deal, but he wanted a guarantee. And I think that's what, there was a level of, I guess, separation between Dwight and Martín. So. So I talked to him, you know, every now and then I would always go when he played, I would always go to the games in Dallas in the past, you know, four or five years or so. I think he uh, he's done, I mean, the best career stunt in the history of Polish basketball. And we will probably wait a little bit until we have his uh, replacement. I don't know when, but hopefully soon. In prep school, I played with Michael Beasley. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah, he wow. was with Notre Dame Prep. We played against Derrick Rose in college and um, wow. Tyreek Evans. So these guys were just machines. I mean, it was incredible to watch them play and compete. And then there was a gentleman, uh, I think he's with Portland right now, Hassan Whiteside. He used to be in Miami. Yeah. So um, yeah. Hassan was a project at Marshall University, which I think is in Mississippi. I don't I don't remember what state, but West
1: Virginia, West Virginia,
2: West Virginia, I yeah. um, WV. Correct. So. We played them and he was so raw as a player. I mean, he was a prospect. He had so much work to do. And the fact that he's accomplished what he's accomplished, you know, it's, it's credit goes to him, except I think he got paid a lot of money. So now he's, wow. you know, he has such a great potential. He, ha- he can do so much still in this league. But I think sometimes when you get paid, this level of hunger for the game and for success drops a little bit and and i i suspect that that was the case in miami when he was there and there's a reason why he got traded probably so human but, nature a little bit yeah yeah so so those are some of the names that come to mind
1: that's cool thank you
2: so
0: one thing tomas i was always curious about you've carved out a nice social presence you know unrelated to oil and gas or anything like that and you, you've done a lot of of uh Video and vlogging types of things and for the city of Frisco and various things like that. So I'm curious, Jeremy and I are new to podcasting. I think, I don't know what episode this will wind up being, but let's call it new. Like
1: like 10, maybe? Yeah, something, something like, like that. 10 or 12, yeah. Any
0: advice for young budding podcasters like us? <laughs> Get out of here!
2: <laughs> Over here, l- using ZenCaster, a platform that I've never even had awareness of. Trying to log in, and you know, it's super smooth. Sounds like nothing <laughs> for you, so um, you know, you know what? I like to be to offer a level of simplicity, maybe and practicality. I don't like to just give you advice because you you probably know many things better than me. But it's just not. Don't overthink it. I think you guys have a tremendous level of flow in a conversation. You know, a lot of people overthink it, they try to be perfect in their podcasts, in their vlogs, in their posts, because they hear judgment of opinion or, or whatever employer will say something or your boss will say something. I think if your objective is pure, and you have clear expectations of what you're trying to accomplish and make it fun, yeah. aging, it adds value, then a lot of things you know could be done out of that but i think one of the things i was always trying to be is is more than just a sales professional right because i think we are a commodity there's always people trying to sell you something so the moment when you show You know your emotions or or show your thought process like i have posted a lot lately in regards to my transition to project 202 because that was a big deal for me like yeah and i feel it right like when i post it i feel it i don't i don't just post it to self-promote or make this facade or something i post it because i think it will bring value to people right and not everybody thinks that way or has the the maybe the freedom of mind to do it or knows how to do it but instead there's this blockage inside of them saying you know what i don't know if i should post this like this is so (laughs) so will judge me or whatever you know my wife will tell me this or whatever (laughs) so instead of instead of that approach man just thinking from a value add perspective like we're humans we're fellow humans there's a bond that connects us regardless of what we do and i think when people, instead of treating social media as a highlight reel, showcasing us and ourselves in the moments of not only success, but struggle, deep thought process, reflection, yet you know trying to always find the creative ways to add value to people, I think that's the key here. That's the ballgame because there's too much stuff that I see on social media, and I'm not the expert by any means. This is just what I try to deploy. Too much highlight reels, too much great (laughs) happening, too many trophies. I'm like, great, but how is that going to help someone? Like if you, you know what I mean? If I create a post, what I saw of some sales posts here and there, or trying to trigger people's attention in meaningful ways and introduce them to people and facilitating contacts, what could be a game changer is that value add in every post, every podcast that you guys generate. And you do that already. You do that already. and and Thanks, man. So, so I don't think there's, you know, I'm a young buck, man. I'm, I'm learning still. <laughs> well, I tell you what, that, was, Bird. that was well Bird. said. Well said, Kowas.
1: That was, man. I mean, this was a fun episode. I think we'll, we'll let you jump. I'm sure you've got your own podcast to do or something like that. <laughs> nah, yeah, but,
2: right. <laughs> I have several I need to deploy. You know, maybe I can take some lessons, you know, from you on a separate occasion in terms of you know, just scalability, because you know, it's it's a uh, or not scalability, but rather, um, you know, just I want to streamline certain things. I don't have any help. I'm doing everything on my own. And obviously, as you guys know, that takes time to promote to post to create content around it to get pictures, bios, invitations. And that's the most fun you have is doing this is having conversations, right? Oh, we love it. If I can get like an intern or someone, oh my God, that would, that would be so <laughs> maybe, well, that's step. That, maybe that's my next step.
1: Yeah, we'll put you in touch with the Digital Wildcatters guys. They've done a great job for us with everything that they do behind the scenes. So oh, cool. Tomas, you have a great weekend, my man. And um, thanks everybody for listening.